We're going to turn in our Bibles this evening to the book of Judges. And I'm going to preach something that I haven't preached in many, many, many years. I couldn't tell you the last time I preached it. I have no clue. Um, I remember the first time I ever preached it was probably, uh, oh goodness, probably 17, 18 years ago preached it in the old sanctuary and uh, it was kind of one of those things that um, God really moved we started church that night at 6 o'clock and at 9.30 that Sunday night I was standing in the baptistry still baptizing people and uh, we're, we're getting ready to see that again because there's a fire that's got in the hearts of some people and there's a hunger in the hearts of you precious people. That's why next Saturday, not this, this coming Saturday, but the following, two Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock, we're going to be gathering together here uh, on the 14th and the uh, 21st at 10 o'clock, 14th and the 21st at 10 o'clock for Bible study training. It'll just be time for us to come together and discuss the Word of God and uh, talk about His precious Word. And for whoever signs up to be here, I'm going to teach you just like I would teach somebody else. And we're going to try to get some duplication and multiplication around here. Somebody shout amen. Praise God. There are uh, very few of you, but there are several of you here tonight that will know where I'm going when I get to the book of Judges, chapter 3. Um, but I, I started thinking about how long it had been. There had been a lot of people born again, move in here and come to this church um, that have never heard this, so I don't really feel bad preaching something I've preached before. Um, but the book of Judges, the third chapter, if you're there, say amen. amen. Judges chapter 3 and verse 14. If you're excited about revival with Brother Shepherd, Sister Shepherd. I just want to hear somebody shout about it. We will begin revival on Sunday, the 22nd, and then um, we'll be together also on the week of the 29th. It's going to be a great time together. Amen. Judges chapter 3 and verse 14. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Somebody said that's a long time. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Aren't you glad he hears us? The deliverer had a name. His name was Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. By him, the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. Anybody here tired of serving Things in your life that you just don't want to serve anymore. You serve and notice. I got a feeling before we leave here tonight, somebody's going to have a little gift for the devil. So they took, they, they sent a gift, a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. But Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubit length. That's approximately three feet. And he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. Somebody shout his right thigh. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. 
they probably ought to cancel this out of the scripture. It's offensive. <laughs> and when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal. And he came back and he said, I have a secret errand unto thee. O king, who said, then you be quiet because I don't want anybody to hear it. And all that stood by him, they went out. He sent everybody out of the room. That's just the way God works. Just me and you now, Eglon. So Ehud came unto him. He was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose out of his seat. And Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Amen. Now, I'm not trying to pull a trick over your eyes, so I'm not even going to change the title or anything. I'm going to preach something to this church because I still want to pastor this kind of church. But I'm going to preach to you tonight about a left-handed church. A left-handed church. Could we put our Bibles down right now and pray? Father, we thank you for your precious word. We're so grateful, Lord, that your word is rich. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray tonight, Lord, that you would divide the soul, the spirit, the body of man, that the good seed of the word of God would find good soil. In the name of Jesus, speak to your people tonight. Let the power of the Holy Ghost be the most evident thing. Let your voice be the loudest voice in this room. God, hide me behind your cross. Speak to your people tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus, and let the church say amen. It'd make me feel better right now if you'd just give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Would you do that? May the Lord richly bless you and you may be seated. I'm going to preach to you tonight about a left-handed church. I'm going to lay a little bit of groundwork here. I don't know how long I'll be in the pulpit, but I want God to help somebody in this place tonight. And if at any time you get to feeling inspired by the Holy Ghost to shout amen, you just need to know it's in order. Amen. If you want to give the Lord a shout of praise tonight, if you get to feeling the Holy Ghost and want to step out in the aisle, that's all right with me tonight. You're in an apostolic church. Amen. So there's an interesting word here that in the King James Bible is put together. Uh, we find it in the 15th verse of our reading tonight, and the word is left-handed, left-handed. It is put together as one word, left-handed. And we only find this mentioned on two occasions in the Scripture totally, uh, that uh, word left-handed. It's kind of interesting. And so, you know, God doesn't waste words. And there aren't words wasted in the Scripture. And so um, every now and then you'll see a word like that and you start, you start wondering why in the world does it matter. I mean, I know a lot of left-handed people and 
Um, a lot of them are goofy. Like my, my wife, sometimes she does left-handed things. And I have a cousin that's left-handed. And he's just, Josh, he's just, he's a left-handed goofball. And we laugh and have a good time together. But when we're together, I, I don't really think about the fact, unless we're playing golf or something, that I'm right-handed and he's left-handed. Like, I, I, don't, I don't walk around to my friends and say, look, before we can be friends, I just need to know, do you write with your right hand or your left hand? Now, my wife can create some confusion in that because she writes with her right hand, but she bats with her left hand, and she throws a mean punch. Never mind. I don't know about that. But I've never really made it, I've never really made it a big deal to ask somebody, are, are you left-handed? So why did the Scripture feel that it was of necessity to make implicit that Ehud was a man left-handed. Like, what's, what does it matter that he was a man left-handed? And so, with a brief search in history and warfare, you find out that to be left-handed was extremely unorthodox. As a matter of fact, uh, in the days of the Spartans, uh, it was considered to be a handicap if you were left-handed. Uh, it is said that of the Spartans, if you were a left-hander, that you were actually uh, not only unfit to fight, but you were unfit to live. And if you were going to be a mighty warrior fighting in warfare, then you had to be right-handed. And so it was actually the case that if a child was born and they began to favor their left hand and they tried to write with their left hand, they reached for everything with their left hand, that their parents would actually in some way uh, or another, for sake of the picture, they would bind up their left hand, so to speak, so that they would have to use their right hand and to develop the skill of using their right hand because they knew when they got old enough to be a warrior that if they were left-handed, they were unfit to fight. And in the thought process of a Spartan warrior, if you were unfit to fight, you were unfit to live. And there were, there were records that had been made of children that were left-handed that were felt to be unfit to fight, so unfit to live in Spartan warfare. And they would take that left-handed child out into the country, the hillside somewhere, and they would abandon them there and leave them there because if you were going to be a part of the Spartan people, you were going to be a fighting person. And if you could not be a warrior, then you didn't need to live anyway. You didn't need to breathe the oxygen in the camp of the Spartan. And so that was kind of the idea of warfare in that time, that if you were a left-hander, you were absolutely uh, unorthodox. It, 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 there's a reason why Ehud is mentioned specifically to be a left handed deliverer. Now the children of Israel had served Eglon the king of Moab for 18 long years and when they finally got sick of serving Eglon they did something that I would recommend to anybody that's sick and tired of being sick and tired and the scripture said that they began to raise their voice and cry out to the Lord and the Bible said that when they cried out to the Lord that the Lord heard them I don't know tonight how else to tell you this but just to tell you I still believe that he hears and answers prayer I'm glad to tell you tonight that when you call on the Lord, you haven't cried out to a deaf ear. You're not crying out to a brass heaven. But God hears us when we call. Right. 
And so it's very interesting that when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, if you look at that uh, 15th verse, the scripture said that the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Somebody say it was in God's plan. God raised up a deliverer, but God chose the left-handed man. God chose Ehud. Ehud was not chosen by the people. He was raised up by God. So God raised up a man that was left-handed. Why did he raise up a left-handed man? Well, I'm glad that you asked, so we're going to talk about this for just a little bit. If you were left-handed, as I said, you were unorthodox. It was something that was unexpected. It was something that you would not see. I, I remember back in the days when we played a lot of softball around here, and thank God we got delivered from that before we all were lost and went to hell. And it wasn't because of softball. It was because of our attitudes. Well, some of us. And I didn't look at anybody, so don't you go to point fingers. But uh, it was always interesting uh, if, if you've ever played sports with my dad, he's very vocal. And my dad, my dad, later on when we played league softball, he was the pitcher. My dad pitched a lot, uh, most of the time. And uh, he was always in control of the field. He always knew what was coming up. And so we would, we'd be playing the field. I, I played second base for a while. Then I went to the outfield and played uh, left and left center for a while. Played rover for a little while. And, and I always remember hearing that high that high, shrill preacher voice coming from the pitcher's mound. Uh, every batter that came up, my dad was placing us and telling us where to go. My dad would start hollering, left center, come in. Right center, scoot over. But whenever there was a left-hander on the other team that came up, it shifted the entire field. Any softball players know what I'm talking about. Because a left-hander throws a, a, a wrench in the gear. When the left-hander comes up, everybody has to shift on the field because everybody that plays is not a left-hander, and a left-hander is going to hit it in a different direction than the right-hander. And I, I remember many, many times hearing my dad say, scoot over, scoot over. It's a lefty. He's a southpaw. There's a lefty hitting, and everybody start moving. At least you better. Don't just stand there. So we'd start moving because the lefty was up. The lefty was unorthodox. They changed everything. They changed the strategy. They changed the way that you played. They changed the way that you thought. You couldn't just stand the way that you used to stand when there's a left-hander at the plate. If you do, you're going to get smoked. And when the ball goes to the fence and you give up a double, it's going to be a bad, bad few minutes in the dugout when you get back over there. I'm just telling you. And so... The left-hander would change things. But why would God specifically pick a left-hander and raise him up to destroy Eglon, the king of Moab? Any, any lefties in here tonight? Wow, this is an odd church. Praise God. We got some lefties in here tonight. Here's what you need to remember. If you were a lefty, you were no threat. Because if you were left-handed, you weren't fit to fight. And so the Lord raises up a left-hander. Now, how many of you feel like that today you could walk in to see the Queen of England or the King of any other land or the President or whatever? How many of you feel like tonight if you just got to want to see uh, President Joe Biden, you could just walk right, right into Washington and say, I, I, I'm just going to walk in and talk to the President for a minute, first name basis. Uh, I'm, I'm headed to talk to Joe. You guys step back. 
It don't happen like that. When you go in to see somebody of highfalutin importance, they're going to they're, they're, they're check you out, you know. You're not just going to walk in there and then say, oh, yes, please, please walk right in. They're going to say, excuse me, sir, where do you think you're going? And then they're going to they're, they're, they're start checking you. But the scripture specifically said that God raised up Ehud, a man left-handed, and that he put the dagger under his See, y'all are preaching so good right now. He put the dagger under his right thigh. Well, what you need to know is that more than likely when Ehud went in to see Eglon, he would have got checked the same way that you got checked if you were going in to see the king. But when he walks in, because we know he's no threat if he's left-handed, that if you're going to be tough at all, you're going to be right-handed. When he walks in to see Eglon, automatically the security detail of King Eglon would have reached down and checked his left thigh because any mighty man would be hiding a dagger under his left eye but the left-hander that God raised up hid the dagger under his right thigh. Well, here's what you need to know. Is that when God raises somebody up that's unorthodox, the enemy never sees them coming. And when Ehud walked in that day, the enemy thought he knew the strategy. But what he didn't know is that God had raised up a left-hander... I feel like God is about to raise up some left-handers in this hour that the enemy thought he knew you. He thought he knew that where you were going to be. He thought he held you down. He thought you were finished, but you... I feel like preaching in here tonight. Eglon never saw him coming. Never saw him coming. He was a left-handed man that hid the dagger under his right thigh because when God raises something up, he does it right. It's about time we quit forecasting every move to the devil. It's time we quit being so predictable. It's just about time that we let the devil know you picked a fight with the wrong man. You picked a fight with the wrong woman. I've come to tell you tonight, we need some unorthodox apostolics that are willing to fight the good fight. So this left-handed man walks into Eglon, and I really find it interesting that he just kind of walked in. They did a quick search, and they're like, oh, yeah, he's here. And then a, a second time, the scripture said, he leaves the present, got access, and then he leaves and gets down to the quarries by Gilgal, and he goes back. And this time, he's already in. There's already trust from Eglon. So he walks in, and old big boy, Eglon, the scripture said it, not me. Don't be offended. And Eglon, the heavy-duty fella, is sitting in his summer parlor that was reserved only for him. And when Ehud walks back in, he says to him, I have a message for you from God. God has given me a message for you. Well, when Eglon heard that, he sent all of his security detail out. And so now it's just Ehud and Eglon. Face to face. 
nobody else around. And Ehud is there with a message from God. What was the message? I think the message became pretty loud and clear when he took that three-foot dagger and shoved it into Eglon's belly so far that actually it ruptured his colon and the dirt poured out of him. It was a job that the Lord had raised him up to do. The message was, it's just me and you now. There's only room for one of us in this place, and I don't plan on leaving. Listen to what I'm telling you. At some point in your life, you're going to have to come face to face by yourself with that spirit that's been tormenting you and you're going to have to let the enemy know I'm here with a message from God and the message is you've had your last day with me we have served you for the last day I have a message from God, Eglon. You're done. You're finished. I'm not serving you anymore. We are finished. Your plans for us are canceled. You need to let the devil know that tonight. Your plans for my life are canceled. So the first thing we know about a left-handed man that the Lord would mention it is because a left-hander is absolutely unorthodox and the enemy never saw him coming. I mentioned to you early in this sermon that the word left-handed as it's written in King James, left-handed one word, it's only mentioned twice. And the second time that it's mentioned is in Judges, the 20th chapter and the 15th verse. And the scripture said that the children of Benjamin, which is very interesting because Ehud was also a Benjamite. But the scripture said that the children of Benjamin were numbered at that time out of the city, 20 and 6,000 men. Somebody say 26,000. There were 26,000 Benjamites that drew the sword beside the inhabitants of Gibeah, which were 700 chosen men out of the 26,000 there were 700 chosen men among all of this people there were 700 chosen men somebody shout it what left-handed and every one of them could sling a stone within a hair's breadth I want you to do a little bit of math with me. It doesn't have to be accurate, but I just want you to consider the percentage. If it was so rare to be a powerful warrior and to be left-handed, how is it that out of one tribe of 26,000 warriors that 700 of the 26,000 were left-handed? That's crazy. It's unheard of. Why were there 700 men, especially out of the tribe of Benjamin, that were left-handed? Why is that? Can I give you my opinion? I want to tell you something about these 700 men. This is my opinion. I don't believe that these 700 men were born left-handed. I believe these were 700 men that refused to sit down when life had been unfair to them. I believe this was 700 men out of the tribe of Benjamin that had been frustrated in the fight and perhaps their arm had become impotent and they could not fight with their right hand anymore. But rather than go home and say life has been unfair to me and I can't do what I used to do and I can't worship like I used to worship. I believe this was 700 men that had become injured in the fight. But at some point they said, it's still 
worth fighting for. I may not be able to fight like I used to, but I'm going to go about it another way. You got to watch these left-handers because they're unorthodox. They don't just sit at home and suck their thumb when the enemy has whooped them all over the place. They don't stay home from church when they're discouraged. They look at the devil say, you gave me your best shot, but I'm still standing. And you need to know I'm not finished with you yet. There's a principle we've got to get about these 700 men. These were 700 men that in my opinion, and it's just that, that in my opinion, they had become handicapped and impotent on the right side of their body somehow in fighting. So they learned to go about it another way. But the thing that we need to understand in this principle is that they did not, again, the Lord doesn't waste words. They did not just learn to fight left-handed. The scripture said that they could all sling a stone within a hair's breadth. I want you to think about what I'm saying right here. I haven't always fought like this. But I'm going to be the best that I can be. Even if I'm broken. God, I want to help somebody in here. I'm not saying to you that life is always going to be fair. I'm not saying to you tonight that it's always going to go your way. But what I'm saying to you is, if you want to win, you can win. If you want to succeed, you can succeed. This feels awkward to me. Because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not used to this. I'm used to standing the other way. I'm used to going about this the other way. But I'm going to take myself and invest in myself until I learn to turn this thing around. Are you hearing? Can I just preach right now? I'm going to keep working on this until I turn this thing around. This is not the way I dreamed I would be. This is not how I imagined that I would fight at this stage in my life. But I refuse to sit down and I refuse to shut up and I refuse to quit. I'm going to keep on working until I get it done 700 700 men 700 men that had never fought like this before but they continued to work listen I'm going to tell you something else that you need to know about these 700 men it was a system because they were separated and isolated from the rest of the 26,000 they were separated into a group of people that had all been wounded before and they didn't learn to throw that stone within a hair's breadth all by themselves but they had somebody that came along beside them that had learned to grow strong in their left hand and they said hey son I've been where you are before I've had life knock me down before but let me just encourage you and tell you I've been through it and I made it and if you'll keep your eyes on the prize you're going to make it can I preach to this church tonight instead of kicking one another while we're down we ought to be lifting one another up and saying I need you and you need me and we're going to help each other We, we, we got to get rid of this little spirit of petty offense that when we're struggling and somebody comes to help us, we say, I don't need your help. Son, that, 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 that sling looks a little awkward in your hand. None of your business. 
We've let the spirit of offense get on us because we've been wounded. You know, there's some people, and I'm just going to preach this while I'm here. There's some people that have no business slinging stones because they haven't learned how to be accurate yet. That's dangerous to the kingdom of God when people just say, I'm going to do it my own way. We need some people that can walk up beside us and say, son, daughter, sister, brother, let me help you just a little bit. Let me encourage. I'm not here to tell you how you're doing it wrong. I'm here to tell you that together we can learn to do this right. I'm here to tell you there's still a fighter in you. Hey, I've come on this Sunday night to encourage somebody. Your fight is not gone. The warrior in you has not died. It's time for you to get back up again and get in the fight. time to get back up it's time to get back up and fight again I'm not going to lay here in self pity I'm not going to lay here in a spirit of offense I'm not going to lay here broken I'm not going to lay here hurting I'm going to get back up again and I'm going to fight and fight and fight and I'm going to learn and learn and learn and I'll do whatever I've got to do but I'm not going to sit down So listen to what I'm telling you. This group became known for their precision. Oh, it's about to get tight. I just feel it coming right now. They became known for their precision and not their handicap. Can I preach? Can I just be me? I'm going to whether you like it or not. Listen to what I'm telling you. Sometimes people want to be known by their handicap because it gets them more attention. Russ, no, if this ain't all right, I'll let you finish it. (laughs) Am I all right? You got to want to get out. It's Sunday night. I'm here. Might as well preach. Some people would rather get attention than they would victory. It ain't going to cost you any more tithe paying money if I preach the way I'm preaching right now. That's why Jesus would ask a foolish question to a man who had laid on a bed for over 38 years. And the question that the Lord asked him is, Wilt thou be made whole? What a dumb question. Of course I want to be made whole. Really? Jesus had to ask him the question because sometimes the porch becomes a way of life. The scripture said that there were five porches there. And each porch was identified by the type of brokenness and impotence that was on each porch. There were people on a lame porch and people on a blind porch, if you would. If if I could just give you a couple like that. You had like the blind people. You had the broken people. You had the deaf people. And these people were grouped together in the city center there at the pool with five porches. And everybody, the danger there is that everybody had a similar story to yours. And so the issue becomes, after a little while, you learn to get in this system of self-preservation. Oh, God, I'm preaching right now. 
where it becomes not about getting better and getting out, but just living through the night. Because you've had so many friends on the porch with you that they died in the middle of the night and you wake up the next day saying, I made it through. I guess last night wasn't my time. I guess it wasn't my turn. And so today I'm just going to lay right here. And so when Jesus walks up and he asked this man that had laid there almost 40 years of his life laying on the porch, that was a new way of life. It was a mindset. Jesus asked him the question, do you want to get out of here or not? And the first thing the man says is not a great, big, boisterous, loud, yes. You could see the mindset on the man when deliverance was standing by him with his hand extended. And the first thing out of his mouth is, I don't have anybody to help me. Church, I'm preaching right now. My God, I'm preaching. Here's what you need to know. Is that your true deliverance is not predicated on one other person in this world. Your salvation is not predicated on one other single man or woman in this world. And I say that on either side of the coin. It doesn't matter how you were raised or what your pedigree is. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. There's a mindset in this picture that we find in North America a lot that the first thing out of the man's mouth is he starts to talk about every season that he had lost. Listen to it, Bishop. It's there. He said, every time I had the opportunity, I didn't have anybody to help me. Oh, God. This is how you miss breakthrough. You're complaining about not having what's standing beside you. Is that plain enough? Breakthrough is standing here saying, if you want out, I can get you out. He said, I never had anybody to help me. How many times have I been guilty of telling God how bad it is? I come to a Sunday night service full of faith, and I hear the Holy Ghost say, I can bring you out, and I'm going, eh. This one here, Lord. <laughs> this one's pretty bad. I don't want y'all to get sick of hearing about it, but I love to testify about this because I know it drives the devil nuts. I used to pull in this part. I'm being honest to God. It drove me insane. Brother McLean, I, I literally had times it would bring me to tears when I'd pull in this parking lot and look at the roof on the old church. There were tabs missing on the shingles. And I sat right out, right out there by, by that red building that looks like a prison camp. I sat out there by that before it was a fence looking up at this roof saying, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but we need a miracle. And I'll be dipped. If I didn't pull in this church one day, during the middle of a global pandemic, just doing what we could, 
preaching to a stupid camera. And I heard the worst sound I've ever heard in my life on this metal roof. I thought, oh, God, they finally showed up. <laughs> Got to be careful because they're typing this stuff out, you know, but I'm talking about that. Here they are. Brace for impact. And I run outside, and there's little white, beautiful pebbles of deliverance. And I look out in the parking lot, and there sat our cars. <laughs> I'm being honest with you right now, okay? I'm just being honest. I don't know how to explain the way God does things. Since Brother Stephen decided to pull his Jetta under there, there wasn't room for my truck. <laughs> it's like Brother Jordan gets his car, my wife gets our car, there's my truck. And Stephen's car, and he's like, ah! <laughs> like, it's okay, buddy. I'll leave my truck in the parking lot. <laughs> and I, I don't know how. I'm serious. I'm being honest before God. We did not have a single dent on our vehicle. None. Not one of our vehicles had a single dent, to my knowledge, anywhere on any of the vehicles, but it did enough damage in five minutes of a hailstorm for God to send an insurance adjuster out here and say, we're putting new roof from the street all the way back to that house. Brother Diaz can tell you, because he's probably got a scar on his shin to prove it, that the backside of that house, the roof was pretty bad. And you had put band-aid after band-aid and your foot went through. Is that right? But the Lord said, watch me work in five minutes. Quit telling me how bad it is. And let me just show you what I can do for my people. By the time we got finished with that, we had $200,000 worth of blessing that was given to this church. And God gave us a brand new roof on this building. And so, the only part of the roof that they did not fix are the brown spots that you see when you walk into the lobby. And so I started to gripe the other day and be like, man, look at this, serious, honest to God. Brought the roof right here, he's sending somebody else, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, God, now how in the world are we going to do that? And I just felt the Holy Ghost go, Poof. right in the gut. Poof. It's like, have I ever failed you? Listen, Brother Marty Ballestero told the story. He said that he left his dad's church in South Bend. He was going to go evangelize. So his dad asked him, he said, where are you going to preach? He said, I don't, I don't know. The Lord just told me to go. He got all the way down to Louisiana. I'm going to give you the short version because Brother Ballestero tells it. It'd be sunset before I finish. He said he got all the way to Louisiana, and his car broke down on him. He was like, I'm doing the will of God. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And he said he, he was so hard-headed. He said, I refused to call my dad and tell my dad I was broke down because I had my big boy britches on, and I told my dad I was going to be an evangelist. 
But I broke down. Dad, we all do it. We all break down. And he called his dad and he said, Hey, son, where are you at? Call him collect. He said, where are you at? He said, Dad, I'm in Louisiana. This little diner over here. He said, what's wrong? He said, my car's broke down. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, son, I'm going to tell you something. He said, God's going to provide for you. He said, and if God don't provide for you, I'm going to build you a monument that's bigger than anything in Washington, D.C. He said, well, Dad, what's a monument got to do with it? He said, because if God lets you down, you'll be the first man in history that God has ever let down. And that's the way these dads with faith operate. It wasn't like, I'm on my way. It was like, trust God. And if God don't do it, then I'm going to build you a monument. Can I tell you something, FPC? Best thing you could do right now is turn off every negative source of news in your life. I don't care what letters are in front of the network. I don't care if it's streaming only. If it comes on rabbit ears, turn it off. Because if God fails his church, we deserve a big old monument. He's not going to fail the church. So the devil thought for sure that he had crippled the church. And that we were done. But one night we were here preaching and this girl started commenting on our stuff. And we were online only. And this girl started commenting. I was preaching on baptism. She said, I'd like to be baptized. We said, where do you live? Come to find out she lived in North Carolina. And I have a friend that had just taken a church there in that area where she was living. And so we were able to connect her with the dots and, and, and put all that together for her to contact that church for baptism or whatever. My point to you is very simply this, that the enemy would love to figure out whatever he has to do to handicap you. But there's an issue with that when you are a left-handed church. When you're a left-handed church, it doesn't matter what comes our way. We're going to learn how to go at this a different way. And we're not just going to do it carelessly and recklessly. We're going to do it with accuracy. And we're going to preach as accurate as we've ever preached. And we're going to sling every stone we sling within a hair's breadth. Why? Because I have not just come to be a fighter. I have come to demolish the kingdoms of hell in this city and in this region. I want the enemy to know you can't take down a left-handed church. I'm not saying this to be ignorant, and I'm not saying this to sound like I'm arrogant at all tonight, but I know whose I am, and I know who I serve. And so I'm going to go ahead tonight by faith and declare to the Delta variant they need to meet the Bravo variant. You know what B is? It stands for the blood of Jesus. And I'm standing tonight in this pulpit to declare, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. I will not be afraid of what man can do to me. I will not be afraid, but I will declare the blood of Jesus over my mind and my body 
you devil. We'll go about this another way. Somebody shout yes. yes. I'm so tired of the enemy feeling like he's the one that sets the agenda. Because a left-handed church says, I don't fit in your agenda. Your agenda was to break me down where I couldn't fight. But my agenda was to do whatever I've got to do to get back up again. I'm preaching to some left-handers in here tonight. I'm preaching to some left-handers in here tonight. The enemy thought he had took you out. He thought he put a hook of addiction in your jaw. He thought you were finished and that he had you for his own. But you stood up and you've learned to... Oh my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'll never forget today. I received a phone call that Elvis Jones had been in a terrible car accident. It was awful. Man, we were all scared. Flipped that just Jeep Cherokee, I think, wasn't it? Flipped it, and your back was like smashed in a million pieces. We all thought you were going to die. Never forget that. And then I looked up this morning. I'm like, man, the devil's tried everything he knows to do. But the problem is some of us are just left-handers. Truth. And God ain't finished with him yet either. Just keeps him around. He hates you. The devil hates your guts. You know that? It's my buddy right here. She's my friend. The devil hates that woman. Can't stand her. And I'm glad because I love her. But I'm going to tell you something. And I'm not, I'd never offend nobody. She loves me enough. I ain't going to offend her. But I'm going to tell you something. You'd never know what she'd been through by the way she worships. Just wouldn't. Never know what she's been through because she's taken everything that she's been through and told the devil, you ain't big enough to keep me down. <laughs> I, I looked up tonight and I looked at one of my biggest left-handers in here tonight, Brother Castro. When they came into my life, I'd known his family for many years. They came into my life. He started sharing his testimony about how they'd been in church and got whatever. And got messed up and got out of church. And the enemy thought he had him. Going to turn him into an alcoholic. Turn him into a, a mean person that he's not. If you've ever been around his heart, you know that the man he was is not who he really is. So one night the Lord just got a hold of him. Next thing we know. He's in the house of the Lord. Went through some church trouble. It, you know, the enemy tried to take him out. Then if I can't get him in the world, I'll get him in the church. That's the way he works. Am I telling the truth, Brother Castro? 
tried to discourage him in the church. So he found a, a solid place to put his feet or so. They thought, and then in that solid place, that foundation got shaken. He said, okay, I'm going to show you what I'll do then, devil. I'm going to pick my whole family up, and I'm going to move them to Anderson, Indiana. God gave him a great job. And I'm glad to tell you that their family is established in this church not because they didn't have an excuse to quit, but because they refused to quit and they told the devil, I'm not going to lay down. I'm going to come up fighting another way. Man, I feel God in this place. The reason I'm preaching the way I'm preaching right now is because I need somebody in this house to realize before I shut my mouth in this pulpit that God is not finished with you yet. I feel my helping here tonight so I might be able to out-preach any devil that's up around this area. I don't want to, but I'm going to preach till somebody gets this. I'm not laying down. And I'm not quitting. I want tonight, I, this may be a mistake, I don't know. I want every single person that's ever been wounded in the house of your brethren, in other words, you've been wounded in a church-connected situation to stand to your feet. So then why aren't we all lost? Do you see this group of left-handed people? Are you, are you hearing what I'm telling you right now? I could walk through this church right now and start telling you story after story of every man, woman, and child that's standing in this place. But here's what you need to know. They're still standing. There are men and women in this room that had every excuse to quit when I was just a kid. But tonight, they're still standing, and they're still preaching, and they're still dancing, and they're still shouting, and they're still worshiping. God's not finished with us yet. Be seated. Thank you. I'm almost done. I was, I'm glad to have Amanda here tonight, Amanda Perry, very dear friend, loved her family since I was a little kid. I was explaining to somebody who she was, that was asking who she was, and I was telling the story how we were connected to him, and, and uh, that we loved her precious dad and all that you've been through, just sharing that. And... I started thinking about some of you precious people here tonight that have experienced great loss. Great, great loss beyond what I could ever imagine. But I used to preach this sermon quite often in my younger days when I was preaching a lot of young like youth services and things like that. I preached about, and I wish I had one here tonight. I preached about the spirit of Bobo the Clown. I used to preach about Bobo a lot because I had, I had a Bobo. 
I do now, but he's a Boston Terrier. We'll call him Bobo. But Bobo was one of those little tall, egg-shaped, like about this tall, little blow-up thing that had a clown face on it. And some of them had different faces like wrestlers and whatever. I remember one that had the ultimate warrior on it. It was a, like nobody here knows what that is, right? You're all Christians. Nobody knows what WWF is, right? But Bobo the Clown was very popular. It was like a little tall deal. like had this little egg-shaped top. But in the bottom of it, it had sand. It had weight. You'd blow that thing up and it'd just stand just like this right here. And honestly, God, you could walk up and hit that thing as hard as you wanted to hit it. And it'd fall down and then it'd pop right back up and it'd just stand there and do that. Anybody ever have one of those? Bobo was amazing. I have beat the thunder out of Bobo. I have kicked, punched, scratched, suplexed, thrown it against the wall. I promise to God, you could pick that thing up and boom, throw it against the wall. It'd fall off the wall, hit the ground, and stand right back up. Bobo didn't even have hands, but he was left-handed. If people can use the anthropomorphism of God's right hand to try to prove a trinity, then I'm going to prove that Bobo the Clown had a left hand. But there's something about the spirit of Bobo. Devil, just hit me if you're going to hit me. Just run that mouth, you old roaring lion. All you, just whatever. But we could replace Bobo if you want to, and we'll just call him Job. Because you can take everything I own. You can take all my possessions. But there's something inside of me. Bobo had that air inside of him and weight in the bottom. He said, there's something inside of me that you just can't take from me. You can take my family. You can take my home. You can take my cattle. But you can't take the spirit that's in me. Now, I'm going to preach. I'm almost done. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you tonight. I don't want anybody getting offended about this. But I've watched this city that we live in since I was a child. It's been an interesting ride. Because it went from a really wonderful place with a good economy to a pretty troubling place. With a really bad economy. It's like just, we were a General Motors city. You come out of high school making $25 an hour. Now you got to drive 25 miles to get $15 an hour. It's interesting. But there's something about it that I think is so crazy to me. If you just look at a, at a measure of church growth, financial growth, and whatever... We'll tell you something about this city. That God put a church in this city that has never ever gone without, even when the members of this church lost their jobs and their jobs moved away and went to Mexico and wherever else they went. I'll never forget my wife and I going to Mexico to preach a camp meeting, a conference. 
And we drove by coming out, of, uh, coming out of the city that we had landed in. We were driving out. We looked off out in the side. And all the same signs that used to be in this city were right there by the road. It was crazy. I looked up and there was Delphi and Delco. And I'm like, that's familiar. And we had people in this church. that just, They just walked in. They were like, sorry, you don't have a job. But those people had been faithful to God. They had been faithful to God. And so God started raising up people in this church that he could bless and he could keep. And I'm going to tell you something right now, folks. I don't care what the enemy tells you about the economy. It really doesn't matter. Again, just turn the stinking news off. Don't worry about what they're saying about the economy. Because I'm going to tell you, the world doesn't set the economy that we live in. They just don't. Well, have you looked at the stock market? No. Have you looked at the housing market? No. Because what it does, it starts getting you worried about things that you can't fix anyway. But I don't care what the economy looks like. I don't care if you're in a nation that has zero economy. God's going to have a church. He's going to have a church. It may not be full of spoiled, rotten people that have way more than they need. But he's going to have a church. And I got to reading about Paul writing his letter. It was amazing, Brother Lang, that he got to greeting all the saints in Caesar's household. Like, do you know who that is? I mean, Paul, you're a Roman citizen. You've got to know that Caesar shouldn't have any saints in his church. And you're saying praise the Lord to the saints in Caesar's house? The only time the word left-handed is mentioned is two times in your Bible. Both of them in the book of Judges. And both times the tribe of Benjamin. I got to reading in the book of Romans, the 11th chapter. I started reading when the apostle was crying out to the Romans. He said, I say then, Romans 11.1, 1, Have God cast away his people? God forbid, because I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, it's not recorded, so we don't know which hand he was. But we do know that he came from a tribe of men that had learned how to be left-handed. Is it possible that a left-hander can build a church anywhere? Is it possible that the reason there were saints in Caesar's household is because a left-hander said God can build a church in Rome. God can build a church in Jerusalem. God can build a church in Anderson. I'm not looking at our society for the kind of church that God is going to build. I'm looking at the church for the kind of society that God is going to grow. This society does not dictate the church, but this church will have power and authority in this society. 
Pastor, what are you going to do when they tell us that we can no longer preach against sin? I'm going to do the same thing that the apostles did when they told them they could no longer preach in his name. We're going to keep preaching it because a left-hander don't give up. I've done preach. I've out preached my welcome. But I'm reaching for somebody in this house tonight. Now, I just want you to know, this conversation sealed off and the devil can't hear a word I'm saying right now. There's enough angels and Holy Ghost in this house. The devil can't hear me. So let me just tell you what we're going to do. We're going to catch him off guard. We're going to be the unorthodox people. We're going to be the people that have been hurt and we've been wounded. We've got our battle scars and we may even be impotent to how we used to fight. But what he don't know is, I have a message for him from God. And it's hidden under my right thigh. He never saw it coming. This is what I want him to know. He just thought this was his city. I've come tonight with a sword in my left hand. And I'm declaring doing tonight, I'm putting my sword in your plans for this city. I'm putting my sword in your plans for my family. I'm putting this sword in your plans for this church. We are a left-handed church, and we will have revival. The devil thought he had you. The devil thought he was going to turn you inside out. But Josh, we got a message for him tonight, son. He don't win over you in the end. He don't win. He don't win. He don't win. I want all of our students to come up here right now. We're going to pray and anoint all our students. If you, if you parents want to come with them, that's fine. We're going to anoint over all our students. And we're going to pray. But we're not just going to pray in anointing. We're going to pray a left-handed anointing. We're going to go at the enemy this year in a way that he never saw it coming. Don't you look at all these precious kids. Now, if we've got any faculty, student, teachers, anybody in here that's working in the school system at PCA, any schools, I want you to come right now. If you got faith tonight, I just want you to come. We're going to surround these young people. We're going to surround our teachers in this church. And we're going to pray a left-handed anointing over them. In this anointing service tonight, we're not just praying for students to do well in school. We're praying for students that will dominate the spiritual atmosphere. We're not just going to be good students. We're going to be warriors. I want you young people to look and I want you to see all these people that are standing behind you. And I'm going to tell you from the heart of your pastor tonight, you hear me, we're behind you. We're behind you 100%. We stand by you and we stand behind you. And all these people that are going to pray for you tonight, they're not going to quit praying for you when we leave here.
My God, I'm telling you, I felt the whole atmosphere shift when these kids came up here. I just want you young people, as you start to feel the Holy Ghost, to just raise your hands. Just raise your hands. Lift your faces to the Lord right now. We're not in any hurry. Come on, it's starting to flow across these kids right now. You can just see their facial expressions start to change. Look at this. God, I'm not just asking for success in the classroom. I'm asking you to let an anointing that is vicious and powerful rest on these young people tonight. Come on, Bishop. Come on, Brother Wendell. Men of God.